Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. Yes, we are recording. Oh, we are recording. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Zombocalypse Now. I'm Dustin. And I'm Tim. And the voice you are hearing with me is Jamila, my my littlest child. Annie cannot talk, so... I, and we're also, we are also joined tonight by Trinaya. Ow! And... Cardell, but Cardell said he doesn't want to say anything. You're, 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 you're Yo. good. Oh, there he goes. Yeah. He's 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 yoed us. So but he's not gonna say anything else. Do you wanna say hello, Trinaya? Hello guys. Um, yeah. Hello guys. <laughs> the reason that we have uh, been beset upon by the children is that uh, I've given Tim a break from the mist. Yeah, so we, <laughs> Dustin goes, hey, do you want to go see Ant-Man on Sunday? And I'm like, sure, let's go do that. And he's like, okay, you know, we could record a couple episodes of The Mist again tonight, or we could do Ant-Man, which we just went after we walk out of the theater. And I'm like, we're doing Ant-Man. Yeah. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp, It is yes. the sequel. We're not doing the original uh, one, we're doing the, the second one. And the kids all went to see it with us. So we're going to start this off with actually uh, getting the uh, most important opinions in the room. Right. Um, what you guys think of the What you guys think of Ant-Man and the Wasp? Spoilers attached for those of you yes. who have not seen the film yet. So go ahead, sorry. So I thought it was really good. I thought like like the um, the background of everything was so colorful and bright and just everything was moving. Like just it was. The funny part, it's so weird. That boy, he was like, blah, blah. his mouth was so fast. Just like you. Um, Michael Pena. <laughs> no, my favorite, well, I've seen better movies. Oh, like, the contrary opinion. What was, okay, so Jamila's favorite part was when Michael Pena told the story. What was your favorite part, Shania? I think my <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite part was when uh, when they found the, um, the mother of the daughter. Oh, when they found uh, Janet Van Dyne. Yeah. Okay. Oh. What else? What? I think the funny part is when um, one of the people were crying and they, they were talking so fast. <laughs> what was, what was the fa- your favorite funny part, Trinaya? I think it's where, uh, where... No, I got one funny part. Where what? he's like... Uh, my favorite part is where he just said, you just got pissed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Trinai, what were you going to say? My favorite funny part is where, like, uh, they do, they do that, uh... Okay, where they are, uh... Where they are get sh- like giving shots to the person. Oh, the truth serum. Yeah, and they're like it's not true serum. Yeah. It's yeah. Not true serum. The, okay. My, my greatest greatest part is okay when when the when the girl um was um kicking the boys in the face the criminals yeah. in the face like bang bang bang. Was there any part that you didn't like? Ooh, me. Trinaya. Oh, uh, I didn't like. I didn't like where um, where the the bad guy and who had his gang or something. And um, I didn't like where they had to like flip over the car. Like, couldn't they just crash into something? Okay, Jamila. I didn't like when. So I didn't like when they when they're trying to cut over the person's skin. Oh yeah, just disgusting. Well, is it? Would you recommend people go see Ant Man and the Wasp? Yeah. No. I like Black Panther better. Oh well, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for all your help. That was a mini review from the monsters. 
Uh, and I'm going to go put them to bed now. Okay. Uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes, guys. Uh, it'll be no time for you, uh, but it'll be a little bit of time for us here. And uh, thank you guys for, for giving us a little of your time tonight. Thank you. And uh, good night, kids. All right. Ugh. That was an ordeal. Putting the kids to bed or having yeah. the kids on the show? Oh, <laughs> uh, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I like to do that every once in a while, just to give them an op- opportunity to understand what, you know, what I do, why Tim Harvey comes over <laughs> at bedtime <laughs> on Sunday nights. People come to people's houses and watch TV all the time. Right. So, um, and it does actually give us something of a social life. Yeah. <laughs> well, we went to see, we did go to see Ant-Man and the Wasp today. Aside from the fact that the Marvel Universe is an undead juggernaut that will never die. Right, keep putting out films. Obviously, it's not a gigantic collection uh, connection to zombie uh, or horror um, uh, when it comes to something like Ant-Man and the Wasp, but we are genre fans. Right, and, we about genre and stuff you know, before. occasionally I think it's, it's, it's fun to rattle things and shake things up of a course. little. And, and not to mention, we had a good time watching it, and, and if we re- <laughs> enjoy reviewing things. So. And one more, one more day not talking about the myth <laughs> is perfectly fine with both of us. Exactly, exactly. Although we only, we only have four ish- episodes of the mist left before um, it's done, and I don't know how many more weeks until Fear the Walking Dead comes back. That's true. We have to figure that out. Several more eight years. Yeah. <laughs> like, it'll come back in, like, eight years, and it'll all be from, from Madison's point of view, like, all that time that we missed, and we'll be like, where are all the new characters that we loved? <laughs> I know, we were, like, so ready to have replaced the original cast with the new cast. So, anyway, um, yeah, so we watched Ant-Man and the Wasp today, right. and for those of you who, of course have lived in a bubble for the last 10 years, more than is it more than 10 years now, isn't it? Yeah. It's about 10 years. Um, it is the latest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, um, the uh, part one of the Everybody Dies Avengers movie right. uh, came out a month ago? A little over a month ago now? It's not been that, that long. So one of the things that they're seeing there, I was looking at the box office numbers, and the numbers for Ant-Man and the Wasp were coming in a little low this weekend. Not bad low, just a little bit low. It's like $85 Because, you know, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, $85 million anymore is like, ah, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there's some question about, you know, people are, everybody's speculating about what it could be. Is it, is it because everyone was just like, oh, the Avengers movie has made me, you know, broken inside? Or, or you know, the fact that this is actually... The third Marvel movie this year. Yeah. So are we are we seeing Marvel fatigue? And I think that's probably there's an expectation I think that people are having about movie going experiences that just it gets weirder and weirder I, the more people yeah. talk about it. I think what honestly what I think has happened, especially with Ant Man, is that um, it's not a destination film. Mm, sure. Um, Infinity War, you wanted to be there in, like, the first couple of weeks. Right. So that you didn't get, like, because internet is basically, internet rules basically say you have two weeks. Mm. And then we're just going to spoil the fuck out of it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And so I think everybody knew they had to get there in the first two weeks. With Black Panther, everybody wanted to get there in the first two weeks because that was a, a superior film if you take out some of the CGI issues. Uh, with Ant-Man and the Wasp, the idea, that's more of a movie that's like, you know what, this is going to be a fun matinee sort of movie, which mm-hmm. is exactly when we went, five o'clock ticket, you know, uh, the, the theater wasn't packed, but it wasn't not, I mean, it was, it was decently, mm-hmm. a decent amount of people were there. I think that if you, if you kind of tally up it, what it brings in over the summer, it's probably going to do good business. Oh, I'm sure it will. Uh, it's just going to do good business over several weeks instead of having like a big blockbuster opening. Yeah, and I think it, it also, the tone of the first Ant-Man um, lent itself to being... Okay, well, you know, we had, you know the, the Guardians of the Galaxy, when, when that came out, everyone was like so afraid this was like going to be Marvel's big disaster. Mm-hmm. There was going to be the one that broke Marvel because nobody had heard of the characters and they didn't, and the tone was so silly. And, right. And, and 
Ant-Man, the original Ant-Man was very much a, it was essentially a light-hearted caper film. And this has a lot of the same tone. Right. There's a humor level to this that the other Marvel movies... Um, Avoid, yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is verbal banter humor mm-hmm. that the other films... I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy films don't have this kind of banter. Right. Um, and I noticed... And I, I, I really had the feeling, especially because... Because I remember when Ant-Man came out, or when Ant-Man was shooting the original, Mm -hmm. and people freaked out because um, Mm -hmm. Edgar Wright was allowing the actors to improvise, and the story that he was telling was just like so, you know, was not what Marvel had kind of signed up for, because it was a kooky heist caper film, and and people freaked out, or, or Marvel freaked out, and they fired him. Right. And replaced him. And then Guardians of the Galaxy came out. And and uh, I think that um, James Gunn allowed for a little bit more casualness. Mm-hmm. And they saw that... Well, first of all, Ant-Man worked. A- Ant-Man did work. And you can actually see in Ant-Man the parts that were very heavily inspired by Edgar Wright. And then Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and it was it was such a like shift change, and that changed the entire way Thor Ragnarok was done. And you know, Guardians of the Galaxy two was another big kind of action comedy sort of set piece for Marvel. Mm-hmm. So they were coming into Ant Man and the Wasp before production even started. Were very much more like we're going to have a more, you know collaborative style like you can tell there are scenes in that movie where it's like i don't think a single word of the dialogue that's in this was written down <laughs> well if you've got some if you have a character actors like like paul rudd and and michael pena michael michael pena 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 thank you um if you have these people why not take advantage of the fact oh that they gosh. are they are very funny people, naturally. Randall Park plays uh, the the government agent in charge of <laughs> of, uh, of keeping tabs on. Yeah, Scott Lang's um, house arrest. Right. And Paul Rudd and and Randall Park. I that's where I'm talking about. Like, I don't think a single word that they say to each other <laughs> was actually written in the script. Oh yeah, because there's some there's some. Responses that are especially okay the the whole um, you know were you were you did you want to get dinner yeah um, <laughs> it's like no why would I want to do that I don't know why you would want to do that well I don't know why I would want to do that either well I don't either yeah did you, did you want to get dinner later no okay fine <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just I mean it's a it's the it's the kind of back and forth stuff which is really really funny the audience laughed a lot yeah it's a very funny film mm-hmm. and. There's, I mean, there's certainly serious moments in it as well, right. but it is very much a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's often a very much a visual comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime, I mean, flying Pez dispensers, flying yeah. giant Pez dispensers. Uh, yeah. Oh, Janet, or not Janet, Hope Van Dyne, like she, I remember when, when Ant Man came out, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of stuff saying, like, you know why is that? Why why was the wasp relegated to the sidelines? Because Hope Van Dyne is much more capable, and you know, and they really take advantage of that in this film because almost all of the action set pieces were Hope Van Dyne. Oh yeah, Evangeline Lilly has been very public about the fact that she trained really really hard to do a lot of the stunts mm-hmm. in this film, and she does a good chunk of her own stunts. Some of them you can tell that obviously you've got to be CGI, right? Oh, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of physical stuff that you can mm-hmm. tell that she's doing herself. I read an article that that says that she only agreed to come back and participate if she were allowed to to do those things, mm-hmm. like because she was very physical on Lost, yeah, and uh, and and she wanted she she said that she always she grew up. You know, really identifying with these action heroes, or wanting to identify with mm-hmm. these action heroes, but never having the opportunity. And so she she was instrumental in hiring the stunt coordinator that worked with the women oh, okay. to create to create body movements and stuff that were not were were still feminine, but were still action mm-hmm. oriented and stuff like that. Um, 
and like she was she even like called out uh Iron Man 2 for the way that they they mishandled uh uh Black Widow's action mm, sure because the things that Black Widow do- like that I remember when that movie came out and it was like Black Widow does some stuff that a woman her size physically would not be able to do mm. And it was, you know, like, taking down guys three times her size with, like, punches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so, so anyway, Evangeline Lilly was, like, very, very adamant about, I want this to be, a, I want to show women being able to do these things, but also being able to show that these are things that a woman would be able to do. Mm, sure, sure. It's, um... It, that was interesting. It's another example... It, it, if Wonder Woman wasn't a good enough example, if uh, being the only thing that audiences really liked about Suicide Squad was Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. wasn't another example. Um, but the fact that success of shows like Supergirl on TV, uh, the idea that a female-led superhero film is a, is a terrible thing, we should never do it, which studios thought for decades, seriously, Supergirl from the 80s, traumatized studios forever. Yeah. I mean, they were literally afraid to make a female-led superhero film, which is why the we didn't get a Black Widow film For, when, yeah. when we thought we were going to, or we thought we should, and why everyone was so scared about Wonder Woman being a failure. And, of course, Wonder Woman clearly wasn't a failure. It was a good, solid script with good performances, and audiences really enjoyed it. Um, there's been a small backlash against uh, the double bill, the, the, the equal billing, Mm-hmm. Of uh, Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd in the promotional material, and it's like, uh, uh, again, gentlemen, uh, it's mostly guys. Oh yeah, uh, who are getting upset about this? Dumb guys. Uh, they are terrible people, and they need to stop. Sorry, real um, dumb guys, stupid guys. She is a equal character in this film. She has the best action scenes. Um, she has some of the best reactions. In the film, her deadpan is just mm-hmm. uh, it, it, lost. Was not a comedy by any stretch of imagination. That's where a lot of people know Evangeline Lilly from. Uh, but she does comedy really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's very she's so selective with the the roles that she takes. I'm going to refer you all to a YouTube channel called Lindsay Ellis uh, by a woman named Lindsay Ellis. Lindsay Ellis is a film. Uh, Probably one of the best, uh, uh, most thorough deep dive into a film channels that I watch. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to be the nostalgia chick on the for the for the nostalgia guy network before that right, imploded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and but now that she's out of that role, she has really taken off and done some. She does this thing called the whole plate. Where she uses the trans, the Michael Bay Transformers movies to talk about film theory. Oh, they're so good! You've got to watch them. They're so good. They're long. They're like fifteen minutes long each. Uh, but she did a three-part series on the making of the Hobbit mm-hmm. uh, and how how uh, that film experience uh, was so such a disaster, which ended up you can see it on the screen and right. and uh, they did things like. Um, decided in the middle of production that it wasn't going to be two films. It was actually going to be three films. And so they had to pad out, a, you know, basically pad oh, yeah. out an entirely new middle to the thing. Um, and things like they completely, the studio uh, and the New Zealand government completely decimated the actors' union in New Zealand to so that they wouldn't lose filming of The Hobbit. Yeah. Like, oh, you've got to watch it. You've got to go to Lindsay, Ellis, Lindsay Ellis's channel and watch her three-part hmm. documentary that she did on, on The Hobbit. It is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece of documentary filmmaking about cinema. But one of the things that she does is talk about Evangeline Lilly's character in that movie, mm-hmm. which was a, her an elf called Terowin or something. Terowin, like yeah. Um, a character who does not in the, does not, not exist in the books, right? 
And that they added because they wanted to have a female presence, which is a kind of an understandable thing and, and is not unadmirable. No, uh, The Hobbit is very, very short on female characters who are not very peripheral. Right. And uh, they, did the same, they did the same thing with, uh, with Gladriel. They beefed up her part sure. and gave so Kate Blanchett could come back and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but Evangeline Lilly, there's a part in this documentary where Evangeline and Evangeline Lilly was not uh, was not interviewed. Lindsay Ellis did not get that kind of access, but she did sure. pull out of like the you know some other stuff that Evangeline Lilly did for promotion. She was like, I took this role because it was going to be a physical role. I was told I was going to be playing a warrior character, and I was not going to have a love triangle. And I was, she's like, I'm really, really excited about that. And then it cuts to like a year later <laughs> when she's talking about how like, because when they decided to make it two, three films instead of two, she's like, well, they had to pad it out. And so they were like, guess what, Evangeline? We're giving you more screen time. Oh, by the way, it's a love triangle. Yeah. And so she was really upset about having that happen. And so she's very, very conscientious about the kind of work that she does. And mm-hmm. I think that's really admirable on her part because she wants to project a certain certain um kind of woman in the roles that she plays mm-hmm. well she's she i've always enjoyed her as an actress in terms of her ability to create interesting characters and for for a character who i more or less was created for the screen because on in the comic book version hank pym and janet van dyne are Ant. they are it's yellow jack he, he was the first ant he, well, he was giant man first and then right. he was ant man and she was the wasp and he was the yellow jacket and they have a very complicated relationship mm-hmm. in the comic because hank pym in the comic is um depending on who's writing him either a very very damaged person or a very very horrible person right he's either a wife beater with an anger problem or a, a man struggling with mental illness mm-hmm. or both or a misunderstood tragic figure. Right. I mean, it's, he's been. It all depends on how oh. they want to write Pym particles. Exactly, because the Pym particles, depending on the thing that allows him to shrink, uh, in the comic books, affect his brain in different ways, and they make right. him do all. And so that's how they kind of hand wave him away some of the bad, worst stuff that he does, like when he legitimately beats Janet Van Dyne up. Uh, Which is even worse than the ultimate line where he basically almost murders, or he almost beats her to death. Right. I mean, it's a whole, it's a, it, he's a very complicated character. But like the, like the Marvel sliding scale of ages, mm-hmm. he and, and Janet are in their like 30s in the comics, perpetually right. in their 30s. And They're uh, Avengers. They're, they're on the team, Janet and Hank. And, and uh, Scott Lang was, was Ant-Man for a bit. Like he, come on. That's my neighbors. Comes back and forth about being Ant Man, but and his daughter Cassie was was Ant Man for a while too. I believe I believe Cassie died in the comic too. But anyway, it's it's yeah, it's it's the Mar- the MCU universe is a whole different continuity, right? And so here you have you know here Michael Douglas uh, is a much clearly a much older Hank mm-hmm. Pym, and while he is a arrogant, difficult individual, right? He is not quite the bad person uh, that, that Hank Pym is often portrayed as in the comics. Right. Or at least a very damaged person in the comics. Here he's just gruff and, and you know, that, that mixture of the arrogance of genius, but also someone who's not expressed his feelings very well. Um, so, so Hope, and of course Janet Van Dyne, uh, the Wasp, uh, is in the first film we see that she, of course, has been sucked into the quantum world. Right. Um, which is... The quantum realm in the MCU is a very curious thing because it has elements of the microverse from Marvel Comics, um, but also has elements of like the realms that Doctor Strange regularly travels into in right. the comics. So they kind of push this stuff together. Um, they're not... It's its own new thing. Mm-hmm. right? Um, so she's lost in the quantum realm. And so having a new Wasp, who's a contemporary with Scott's, um, you've got hope. And so it's, in any event, um, it's really good to see Evangeline Lilly do this because she's really, really good at it. Yes. And she's really good in this film. Um, 
it's this kind of film we're doing a funny kind of and this is again almost a it's almost a heist movie mm-hmm. this kind of funny banter back and forth thing it really all plays i mean you, it it has to be with it's it's the cast yeah i mean you can write the greatest dialogue in the world and the greatest banter in the world but if people can't sit there and hit it back and forth you know if somebody can't return the serve um it just isn't going to work mm-hmm. and they have got a fantastic cast for this um, yeah, we laughed a lot watching this film. Uh, yes, Cassie does die, but she she's re- reborn. She comes back because you know that, death death is a permanent thing yeah. in, the, in the comic book. But anyway, universe. so yeah, so essentially, Ant Man and the Wasp uh, takes place two years after two two years, eleven months, and twenty eight days after the events of. Uh, Civil War, Avengers Civil War. Right, which had some, we didn't see, we've seen a little bit of, no, I'm sorry, we've seen a lot of the fallout of Civil War play across the MCU. And uh, a good chunk of Infinity War is kind of bringing these people together after they split across. Well, Scott got in trouble. Scott got in trouble, and part of his plea deal was he would be under house arrest for three full years... Then probation for two, and he was not allowed to be a vigilante. He was not allowed to be involved with anyone who was uh, involved in uh, in breaking the Sarkovia Accords. Hope and Hank Pym have been on the lam, right? Because they're wanted for they're wanted for violating the accords with through technolo- technological right. Means. Even though they didn't do anything, Scott stole the suit to to participate in civil war, right? Because he goes off and running and often do, does involved with the events of civil wars without talking to the two of them. So the blowback that they, they ended up getting has not made him their favorite person. Right. So they haven't seen each other in many years. Um, Scott's been under house arrest, and he's been doing great. Um, he spends time building increasingly inc- more elaborate sets for Cassie and him to play in. Which is very sweet. It's very yes. cute. Meanwhile, after being angry at each other... For uh, for the first movie, uh, Paxson, played by Bobby Car- Cavill, and Ju- and Maggie, played by Julie Greer, uh, Cassie's mother and stepfather, now love Scott. Oh, they love him all the much, I mean, and they- are very supportive of him. I guess I guess when you save the world slash the your daughter, I think once you've saved the world and your child from a crazy person, you're gonna ingratiate yourself to your ex wife and her new husband, Bobby Cavill. I love as an actor. Um, And I think he's... Because he's done everything under the sun. He's done drama. He's done suspense. He's done... But I think that he is so good in comedy. Oh, yeah. Because he's such a huge, lunking-looking dude. But he's got such great timing, and he's so funny. And essentially, as, as Paxton, the stepdad... Plays he plays a great Dane in this movie, like because he <laughs> yeah. will run like like Julie Greer will run up to Scott. Oh Scott, I'm so happy to see you, and she'll like give him a very light, sweet hug. And then here comes Bobby Cavill like bounding down the stairs, and then just like throws himself on. It's, he there's not a hug that happens that he is not involved in. Yeah, he's very <sighs> well, and he, his character is a police officer, and so all the interactions with the FBI. And looking at Scott's being, you know, uh, under house arrest, you know, his ex-wife is like, you can't do this. He's like, yes, they can, honey. <laughs> so, you need a warrant. No, they no, don't. <laughs> it's just, but it's, again, the timing on this film is so good that it just bounces right up. And it's, what's really kind of cool here is that so often in characters like this, you it, it's a conflict situation. It's, you mm-hmm. know... My, you know the the ex wife is terrible. The ex husband is terrible, and it's like the, right. the the stepfather is awful. The stepmother is awful. That's not what this is. Right. This is a, this is a group of adult people who have come together to take care of their daughter, mm-hmm. and it's really cool to see that. Well, and they did. I think that they did a, a fair amount of the 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 divorced couple argument thing in the first one. So I'm glad they took a different. And I feel like they really wasted Greer. Yeah, in the first one, I mean, she's not on screen anywhere near enough. Right? Oh, she's amazing. Like they they packed this movie. Like I, if you look <laughs> seriously, if you look at the IMDb of this movie, they packed it with some of the best 
comedic improvisers. Mm-hmm. In the uh, Paul Rudd, who is a known improviser, I was not aware of Ang- Evangeline Lilly's powers, but she is. When Michael Pena is telling that story and she's doing her little like the her version, oh, it's hilarious. Michael Pena, um, did you know that the the reason he has that monologue in this one is because he improvised the entire monologue in the first one? Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, uh, Bobby Cavell, uh, Julie Greer, um, uh, Randall Park, like these are some people who know how to do, like, who are comedy, like, really comedy superstars. Yes. It's, it's, if you go into this film looking for a really, really good time, Mm -hmm. um, you are not going to be disappointed. It's, I'm, it's up there with my favorites in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Just because, and I, I, I really enjoyed the first Ant-Man as well, um, but I really I like this one a lot better actually than the first Ant-Man. I think it's a better film. Mm-hmm. Um, not to not to knock on the on the first Ant-Man at all, but this this is a stronger movie. It gives people a better chance to do things that they were able to start off doing in the first one. Right. But now it's like, well, we know that Michael Pena can do mm-hmm. this thing. Let's let him do it. Right. And you know, we know that that uh, you know Paul Rudd can imitate his vocal. He can he can visually do the vocal text, the, mm-hmm. the, but can Evangeline Lee do that? She can. Mm-hmm. Awesome! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, I, I I I doing a movie podcast instead of a TV podcast is weird because I feel bad about recapping. But there are some things like Paul Rudd does some stuff in this movie. There is a scene in this movie near the middle endish mm-hmm. where he when he's when he is embodying a female character mm-hmm. and it is hilarious. Well like it, okay, first of all, we are not I don't I don't think we're gonna give you guys like a full blow by blow recap. This is this is not the a Walking Dead uh, recap or anything like that. Um, I don't want to spoil it for you. I don't think we, either one of us wants to do that. But there are scenes we are going to talk about. We did say spoilers at the beginning, and mm-hmm. and if you have not gotten the impression that we're going, there aren't going to be spoilers. I mean, there are going to be spoilers, mm-hmm. but I don't. We're not going to tell you every beat by beat and give right. you the plot. The, essentially, okay. Let's start with the. Let's do a little bit of plot. Okay. Essentially, this is a smaller scale. Like the stakes of this movie are incredibly small, considering that we just came out of Infinity War. However, they're huge on an emotional level right. for the characters involved. Uh, because essentially what what Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne have realized is that um, that Scott going down to the, whatever it was called, the microverse or whatever. Quantum, the, quantum, quantum realm. Um, proved that there's a possibility that Janet Van Dyne survived. Right, because she disappeared into that realm... And they just assumed that there was no way to get her back. Right. And at the end of the first film, Scott goes there and comes back. Right. And since he did that, uh, essentially the quest of this this movie is, can we create a device that will allow us into the quantum realm to see if Janet Van Dyne has survived? And And if she has, can we get her back? And if she has, can we get her back? That is complicated on two fronts. Number one... uh, the guy who they have been getting technology from, uh, who is a guy named Sonny Birch, uh, is discovered who they are and that they are wanted fugitives. He, he, even though he is a he is a black market technology dealer, he is not above turning in wanted fugitives for the money. Which you know, if you're going to a black market technology or black market dealer of any kind, odds are pretty good they're. First priority is going to be making money. Right. And his, and his, I mean, he does give them the option of coming to work for him, selling off everything in their lab for a billion dollars, and then coming to work for him. And when they say no, he's like, well, okay, fine, we're just going to do it and we're going to take all your shit. Yeah, he's a slimy ass guy. Right. And he's, he's played by Walton Goggins, who was on uh, Deadwood and all sorts of other things. I thought Uh, he looked familiar. Um, and he's a slime ball, and it's adorable. Um, <laughs> me, on, on the other side, we have uh, this character called Ghost, who is the daughter of another super scientist who was caught in a quantum blast, and this has given her the ability to phase shift 
in between, like, kind of, she's phase shift bet- between reality. Her her body is not really corporeal anymore, and it hurts for her to try and hold it together, but it also hurts because her body is being slowly torn apart uh, by the fact that it is not, a, you know, it's been it's been damaged in this explosion. She was she was taken in by Shield, mm-hmm. and they used her as a black ops wet wor- wet works creature. Um, and this they, would also be the period where Hydra was essentially right. running Shield. Right. She's not a happy camper because right. she feels very, very used and then abandoned. Right. And she has discovered that if you tap in, she believes she has a theory that if you tap into the quantum realm, you can siphon some of that energy and it can can stabilize her body and save her life. Mm-hmm. So she's after the Pym Van Dynes for that. This arms dealer is after them for the technology, and then Randall Park's character, whose name is Jimmy Woo, who is who is basically Scott Lang's parole officer, is after them trying to prove that Scott Lang is not abiding by his house arrest on the last two days that he's under house right. arrest. And he he is such a sweet character. You feel bad for him throughout the entire film, because mm-hmm. he's so nice. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to do his job. He seems... He's he's a perfect... Okay, we have complained in the past about the portrayal of law enforcement, mil, the military and law enforcement in certain TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. This does not help the competent... Uh, this is not necessarily a competent portrayal of, of law enforcement with, when it comes to the FBI. It's not incompetent. It's just he's so nice and so easily frazzled that you just kind of like, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. And, but you feel really bad for him because he's a very, very sweet guy. And he's trying his best. Like, <laughs> like he's trying his best and he's very friendly. And and like, <laughs> like the scene we were talking about earlier uh, where where um, Randall Park and and Paul Rudd, I am, I am positive if somebody brought me script pages and showed it to me where this was written down, I would still say no. That was improvised and wrote those later. They improvised this whole thing about, like, where where uh, Wu is like, I'll catch you later. I'll see you later, Lang. And Scott's like, what? He's like, he's like where are you going to see me? Where? Where are, you, where are we going to see each other? And, and he's like, no, no, I mean I'm going to be there. Like, when you, I'm watching you so that if you mess up, I can arrest you. And Scott's like, but it kind of sounded like you were going to like see each other later. Like, did you, were you like wanting to go to dinner or something? And Wu's like, no, 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 I didn't want to go to dinner with you. Why would you want to, why did you think that? I was like, I don't know. I just, just <laughs> wanted... And then Wu's like, do you, do you want to go to dinner? And, <laughs> and Scott's like, no. <laughs> and, well, that and the bit about, about magic, uh-huh. where uh, they're, the, oh, they're, and this is very early on in the film. This is not like a major spoiler at all. But Scott has been, because he's under house arrest, he's been finding things to entertain himself. He's, he's been learning close quarter magic. Mm. So card tricks and that sort of thing. And he does, he's basically, he's very frustratingly saying, you know, you know, telling. I have, yeah, I have uh, two days. I, I'm not going to do anything to ruin my, my probation, my house arrest for two more days. But do you know how hard it is to entertain a 10-year-old? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you can't leave the house and he starts showing off the magic tricks and the agent looks at him and goes could, how did, could you show me how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and so and he's kind of like aww you, yeah. just to, you just want to pat him on his head and he says early in the in the film that he's a, a, a youth pastor yeah and, and, and then I noticed after that like any time that he would he would use like damn it or whatever it's always something like oh f- like, oh, gee willikers or something. Yeah, like, it's just so funny. So, but the weird thing about it, very interesting, because there's such a, the stakes are emotional stakes mm-hmm. and not necessarily end of the world stakes or or large, like, like in the first one was corporate espionage that kind of bordered on end of the world stakes. Right, yeah. Um, but this one, since there are emotional stakes, there really isn't a true villain. No, it's not because the ghost again. The MCU's version of the character Ghost is there are characters who've had that name and those abilities in the comic books before. Mm-hmm. They have never had, as far as I'm aware, uh, and I'm, I, I could be wrong here, but as far as I'm aware, 
they've all been much more villainous than this. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, she's she's not a nice person. She's done bad things. Right. But it's not she's not out to hurt anybody. That's not the goal. She's not out for world domination. She's not out for large sums of money. She's not out to hurt anybody else specifically. She just wants to be cured mm-hmm. of this thing which is killing her. Um, and by the way, her, uh, that's Hannah John Kamen is the actress. And I was mm-hmm. like, where do I know her from? I'm like, oh yeah, she's on Sci-Fi's Killjoys. Oh. And she's actually one of the reasons to watch that show because it's a she plays a very interesting character. The, my plug for a show that we never talk about on the, on here, and there are you know the Sci Fi Channel had a little resurgence where it brought back some original programming, which is actually good. And Killjoys is one of those shows which I highly recommend. That and Winona Earp and and some of the other stuff they've got going on. I hear Expanse is good, but I've never Expanse seen it. is really good. But they Sci Fi Channel canceled. Amazon's it. picking it up. Yeah, I know, season. which is good because it's such a good show. I've never seen it anyway. But yeah, so so and even the arms dealer guy, he's he's a he's. A villain, he's the bad... Like, if you were going to pick a bad guy, it would be him. But him and his goons are just, <laughs> like, barely, barely competent. Like... Yeah. Barely yeah. competent. They are bested. They're essentially they're essentially the bil- villains for Scott's team of, like, goofy sidekicks. Who are hysterical themselves. Like, it starts... You start off kind of thinking maybe they're going to be... but. They're bested at every single like by either by either Hope Van Dyne kicking their butts or uh, the goofy sidekicks Ti and and Michael Pena and, and some other guy like they give they give Michael Pena's character truth serum and then ask where where is Scott Lang. And so he goes launches into this whole story about his like emotional journey, and he's like, "Oh, that's where he is emotionally." And it's like, "No, where is he physically? Like, actually, where is he?" And like, "Oh, you were specific." <laughs> Just it's really. Well, and once he starts going, the guy, the, the he looks at uh, the, the gangster, looks at the. One of the other guys, and he's like, "Oh no, he's like a jukebox. You put a dot, you put a quarter, and he's just gonna go." Yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole thing about truth serum, and oh god, like, the truth serum. It's not truth serum. It's really, if it really, looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. It it's a truth duck. serum. <laughs> it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. It's truth serum. Uh, but it's interesting because the the comedy tends to be uh, in service of other things. So, so the fact that um, Michael Pena's character is, you know, we 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 get so much comedy is because he's Scott's best friend, uh-huh. and these guys are around each other, and they're they're so it's the how these their interactions are shaped in part is the fact that they have a company together, and one of the reasons that Scott can't lose his parole or can't break his parole and, and can't get in trouble again is because. If he does, it'll hurt the company, right? Which and, is already floundering. And these are, you know, and its entire staff is ex-cons. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and there's a point at one. He sits there and says, "Do you know how hard it is for ex-cons to get real jobs?" So there's a subplot running throughout the film about the health of this little security company. Yeah, that is. I mean, it's 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 an undercurrent, and it keeps popping up again throughout the course of the film, right? Um, and sometimes in funny reasons, and sometimes a little little bit, you know. Uh, scary on a on a lose your job, lose your income, lose hope, kind of way. Um, so it's it's the, a lot of the humor between these characters um, had the audience laughing really really hard. But it's also about building the character relationships mm. and that sort of thing. And, and this this is a, a little bit going yeah. into spoiler territory. And I'm sorry, but you've listened to this podcast enough. You know we're going to spoil stuff for you. Sure. Um, I was really impressed. Not only does this film not have a villain, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, it also does something that Marvel movies uh, are really notorious for. Does not do something that Marvel movies are really notorious for doing. All of the bad guys survive. Yeah, like nobody, nobody is like Ghost, who you would think would be the primary target for. Let's off the villain. Uh, she doesn't get torn apart by quantum particles or whatever. No. She lives to the end of the movie. And, well, you and, know... And, and there's... Uh, there's a, we forgot about the other quote-unquote villain, which is um, Bill Foster. 
uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, right. Well, who's mm. not actually he's not actually so much a villain as he's an antagonist for Hank Pym. Yeah. And villain and antagonist are not the same thing. Because he and Hank Pym have a history. And what, you know, they do the whole de-aging thing uh, for Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Lawrence Fishburne. Now, when we first see Michelle Pfeiffer in this film, Dustin leans over to me and goes, they didn't de-use the technology on they her at the all. They didn't use the technology on her at all. She looks amazing. She looks fantastic. I want the Janet Van Dyne Quantum Realm action figure. So the, I want her now. So, spoiler, spoiler alert for the credits. The end credits. <laughs> Um, because there's a, it's a really fantastic. We are jumping all over the place from this review, in this in this podcast. I am sorry, folks, but there's this fantastic, um, like miniature. Uh, it looks kind of like an action figure diorama kind uh-huh. of thing, right? And so they go through all this stuff, and they're using those as you know. Here's here's a picture of Ant Man, and it's Paul Rudd is the logo, and here's a picture of the Wasp, and it's Evangeline yeah. Lilly, and they come to they come to Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's the only one. That looks like an act, straight up like an action figure, and it's an awesome action figure. It does. It's like I want that. <laughs> I don't collect Marvel stuff, and I specifically did not start collecting Marvel action figures, especially when the Legends line started coming out. Because there's a million years. of them. Because there's a million and a half of them, and they're twenty dollars each. Yeah. And I, I just did not want to invest myself emotionally in that. I did that with the Masters of the Universe things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a piece of my heart now that I'll never get back. Right. And I just didn't want to do it. But I will tell you this right now. If they came out with a Janet Van Dyne Quantum Realm action figure in the Legends line, I would buy that shit. <laughs> it, it looks fantastic. And I don't know if this is... If this is going to be a model for for them build, having an action figure like this, but they should. It looked really, really cool. For those of you who are toy collectors, who are f- action figure collectors, uh, it looked really awesome. It's actually one of the coolest shots in a really cool sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, it was part of the over, it looked like 21, and I may have miscounted, 21 different VXX, VFX studios that worked on this film. That is a ton of special effects companies. And that's not even counting the 3D conversion guys. We watched it in 2D, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't watch 3D even with the, with the ionic with glasses. I can't do it because my this creates motion sickness for me. Yeah, I, 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 I sometimes I can I can deal with it. Sometimes I just get a nasty headache. But um, it is uh, it, it, there's so many great visual effects in this film that play really really well into into the the a lot of the humorous tone and, and using the shrinking and growing powers. But, yeah, 21, over 21 probably, uh, special effects companies. But, uh, yeah, Bill Foster's uh, character is, he used to work with Hank Pym uh, 30 years ago, and they had a falling out, and he was... Because that's the theme. The theme is Hank Pym is not a nice man to yeah. work for. He's not a good person to work for, but everybody grudgingly admits... He's the best. Yeah. He's brilliant, but we don't like him. Um, so Bill Foster was actually the first person to use the growing uh, uh, parts of the technology. Mm-hmm. And there's a cute bit, and you've seen it. Uh, this bit has actually shown up in the trailer. And Bill, Fo- yeah, and Bill Foster is the name of the character who was Goliath for the longest amount of right. time in the comic books. And there's a there, you've seen the bit in the trailer where uh, Bill and and Scott are having this sort of banter about this, how big they got. Yes. Which is, yes, it is clearly and intentionally a penis joke scene. And it is capped off, of course, by Evangeline Lilly going, okay, now the two of you are finished with comparing sizes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, she's like, makes it, hits you right in the face with it. It's really funny. But it's also, again, um, while Foster is an antagonist uh, for our heroes, it's not because he's actually evil. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to help Ghost. And also, he doesn't think that what they're going to try and do, which basically is, if they can retrieve Janet from the quantum realm, then they can also take some of the ability, some of uh, what has happened to her there, and use that to cure Ghost. It's a complicated kind of hand wavium thing. There's lots of tech hand wavium in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, there's a bit where Scott basically looks at them and goes, do you just put the word quantum in front of everything? Is, right. that, what, is that how this works? So, you know, it's, 
It's very, very entertaining stuff, though. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, yes. It is, I'm hard-pressed to find anything bad to say about the film. Was there, was there anything about it you didn't like? Or felt that it felt wasn't handled well? That's kind of the reason I asked the kids. Yeah. Um, because I wanted to see what their thoughts were, um, being that they are, you know, all children. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I can't think of anything right now. Yeah. Um, Molly brought up that she kind of felt like Ghost uh, was a, was an escapee from like a science fiction soap opera. Which I can kind of see. Uh, she because she's very like very like I'm going to do what I'm going to do and mm. you know but that's sure. just a characterization issue. I don't necessarily think that that ruined my enjoyment of the film. No, I didn't really have a problem with that because it kind of fit in with the whole science villain. I mean, the Ant Man films are very much, um, you know. Oh, on the science fiction side of the thing. I mean, the technology yeah. is science fiction, and the quantum realm is science fiction. So, I don't know. She just struck me as one of those science villains. I can now. Okay. I am. I am a little miffed that we knew there were two credit scenes, and we waited and we waited mm. to the end of the credits, and the scene at the end of the credits was the a scene that we saw in the previews. Many times, like in commercials. In oh, previews, sure, yeah, no, you're right. That irritated me. I wanted more from that scene. Mm-hmm. Well, especially after the mid credit scene, right? Which is so for for those of you who are wondering where this film falls in the timeline, the very screwed up timeline of the MCU universe, it takes place before Infinity War. At the, well, at the same time as Infinity. War. Well, at least part of it takes place at the same time, but. I'd say the majority of it actually t- takes place before. Well, it takes place over two, three days. Yeah, but, so there's, it but all there's, takes place. But there's at a the gap in time. time. There's a gap in time where be, in between the end of the actual film proper and the first mid-credit scene, because mm-hmm. some certain things have been built and redone, and you know the the established uh, referencing that they're helping their ghost friend uh-huh. uh, at the end of the at the end of the prime, the main film. Their relationship with Ghost is not that neatly defined. Mm-hmm. As we're we're doing this thing to help our ghost friend, right? You know, so there's obviously some time has passed, and in any event, I mean, Infinity War doesn't take place over that long a period either. No. So I mean, but it, the majority of this film is set before the events of Infinity War, as far as it, what it seems to be. Part of it takes place during Infinity War, but that's. That's the mid credit scene, and that is a fairly big spoiler. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, we're not going to share that. We're not going to tell you what happens. So, but then the but we were sitting there when that, that ended. I was like, oh, is there another one? And Tim's like, yeah. So we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, and sitting there, and Jamila is sitting next to me, going, I have got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, we got to just wait a few more seconds. And then it was something that 20, 21 uh, special effects companies and six 3D conversion companies later, right? And it was nothing. It was. Yeah, it was. I was. I was very disappointed with the with the end end credit sequence. But right, and that could have been that could have been saved by having one of the tertiary human characters show up in that yeah. scene. Any one of them. It could have been. Yeah, that's true. Any one of the like. It could have been Bobby Cavill's character popping in. It could have been Cassie popping in. It could have been Michael Pena popping in, mm-hmm. and it would have saved that thing. It would have saved it. But yeah, no, it was that was a disappointment. And and to some respect, though, I mean, I well, I was very disappointed, and actually was kind of a little ticked off. Um, it is something that the expectation that we're going to the, the end credit scene thing that has mm-hmm. become a thing. Um, I'm not actually a giant fan of it. I think sometimes it works really, really well. And sometimes it's turned into this thing that we've come to expect. Right. And it doesn't have that, I don't know, that, that interest and that, that quality of the... Which it, which it can't. Obviously, it can't, you know, the first time it happened, it was a big deal. It's like, what have you done? You know, mm-hmm. you've, it's, you've teased something for the next film, and ah! Oh, but right. now it's become this, you know, built-in thing that we call come to expect. I don't know. I'm not necessarily thrilled about it. But no, overall, I don't think there was anything I... I felt, I felt that... The strengths certainly outweigh any weaknesses in this film. 
the relationship between Scott and his daughter, mm-hmm. the relationship between Scott and and his ex wife and her husband, the relationship. They, I thought they did a really, really good job of making the reconnection between Scott and Hope something that took place over the course of the film. Right. It didn't just like you know it, and and the reasons that there was conflict between the three of them, between Hope and her father and Scott, um, was not because they didn't like Scott personally. Well, Hank. Well, Hank doesn't like anybody. But it was because they didn't feel that they could necessarily trust him because, to some degree, he did betray them. He didn't do it out of malice. He didn't do it because he was upset with them or angry with them. He didn't think. And that's always been Scott Lang's problem, is that he doesn't think things through. And he gets up getting in trouble. Right. But he's conscious of that. He, he's aware that's one of his flaws. So I like that fact that they all kind of... The way that they those, those relationships actually played out. It allowed them to almost do a reset uh, of the characters and have them build it back up again, which was actually one of the mm-hmm. fun things of the first film. But they, I thought they did it well, and it was, and it was organic. Right. Um, I loved the... Anything involving the using the shrinking and... Well, pretty much the wasp fight scenes. Yeah. Where she was using the shrinking technology to fight large groups of people, often many of them massively out bigger than her or or better mm. armed than her. Um, and yet she used things like, you know, expanding us yeah, and, and, and salt shakers. Um, and that fight in the kitchen mm-hmm. is just a great example. And it was really, you know... I actually really liked the fact that when she slid across a table, you could hear her slide. It was just one of those little effect mm-hmm. things, like, because <laughs> her feet are sliding across the table. It was really kind of fun. Um, I love the I love the fight scenes and the and the and the, the chase scenes and all that stuff. It actually was a fun, exciting, silly chase scene in San Francisco. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean I, that sort of stuff was really fun. I think if there's if there's one thing I didn't like, um, it was maybe playing, maybe playing the law enforcement up a little too much, mm-hmm. uh, for comedy's sake. Um, but even then, it was like that much. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that big a deal because you liked you liked the main law enforcement characters too mm-hmm. much uh, to really be upset that they were like, okay, yeah, they're a little goofy. But, you know, their, right. their hearts are in the right place. So, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I enjoyed the film. Yeah. Um, I might I might need a couple of days to process it. Yeah. Uh, before I could come, I might have a nitpick later. The problem is for something like this is when, 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 you, when we did, when we did Alien Covenant. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a totally different situation because we sat in the theater like, what is, what is going on? Like, was, why are it they was doing so this? obvious to watching that film that that film was a broken movie, and there were so many things wrong with it. This, um, if anything else, it's, it's I think its biggest flaw ultimately is that it is it kind of very much hits those heist film beats. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's a formula well, and picture. It does that and thing? And I was actually sitting here thinking about it. It does that thing where it's like we have fifteen minutes to do oh the God, thing, yes. and then thirty-five <laughs> minutes later. Oh well, you were like ten minutes, but of course it's ten minutes. <laughs> to get done. Ten seconds, but of course it's ten seconds. <laughs> right. And it's like, and then it counts. Well, that's it. It counts down to zero, and he looks around and is like. Nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to talk about a film like this without getting super spoilery. Because we spoiler, we spoiler, we we're going to mangle the word spoiler. We have given you guys enough spoilers, but not anywhere near of the worst spoilers of the film. Um, but yeah, no, it's fun. It's a fun film. I recommend it. I think it's, I say yeah, go out and see it. It's a good fun film and it's a worthy addition to the Marvel Universe. You know, for the longest time, my favorite, uh, Marvel movie was Thor, the original Thor. The original Thor is a good film. Kenneth Branagh directed that. Um, and people, people would laugh at me when I'd be like, they'd be like, oh, what was your favorite Marvel movie? And I'd be like, Thor? And they'd be like, what? It was probably Ant-Man that, that dislodged it, honestly, because, mm. you know, the original Ant-Man and then... Then Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is probably, like, again, so, it's so good. 
And then Black Panther is just legitimately, if you just take, if you took out the superhero elements of Black Panther, mm-hmm. Black Panther is just a legitimately good film. I have a few quibbles with the Black Panther, but they're the kind of quibbles that, um... Only you would have because you're weird. Probably. But I know it's an excellent film. Um, I actually enjoyed actually enjoyed Black Panther and Ant-Man and the Wasp much, much more than I enjoyed Infinity War. Mm. I, 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 Infinity War is fine. I, I don't have a problem with Infinity War, except for the fact that Infinity War suffers from the we're setting things up for the bigger right. second movie. Yeah. And there's no way around that fact that we're setting things up. Because you have a million characters and you cannot give them all quality screen time. Mm-hmm. This is, even leaving aside that this is a much more fun movie than Infinity War, I just like it better as a movie. So, eh. All right. Well, I think we're done. I think we are. Um, thank you, folks, for listening. As always, we appreciate that you do listen to us here on Zompocalypse Now. If you, if you could leave us a comment or a rating on iTunes or podcast.com or any, anywhere else you're listening to us, that would be fantastic. That stuff always helps other people find the podcast, and, of course, it helps potentially grow the audience, which is always great. Um, we'll be back next week with more Zompocalypse Now, uh, probably without the kids. Probably without the kids. So thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Zompocalypse Now is recorded and produced by Dustin Adair and Timothy Harvey. All rights reserved.